You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Pete Wilmoth. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's November 1st. This past Sunday, many Americans were focused on breaking news that ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was killed during a U.S. military operation. Al-Baghdadi's death was welcome news about the fight against ISIS, but Sunday also marked a grim anniversary for a different form of extremism, one that has claimed more lives in the U.S. since 9-11 than jihadist terrorism, violent white supremacy. One year ago, a gunman killed 11 worshippers at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. It was the deadliest attack on the Jewish community in U.S. history. Tree of Life is about a mile and a half from Rand's Pittsburgh office, where we're recording this right now. So the surrounding neighborhood has been home to many Rand staffers and their families over the years. Terrorism expert Colin Clark is one of them. On the day of the shooting, Clark was at home with his two young daughters when he started getting a flurry of text messages asking if they were safe. He turned on the TV to see breaking news about a mass shooting at the synagogue, barely a mile up the road. Clark studies and analyzes the how and why of politically and ideologically motivated violence. But he's focused on jihadists like al-Baghdadi. He says this terror attack in his neighborhood really woke him up to the dangers of violent white supremacy in America. Awareness about this issue has increased in the years since the shooting, says Clark. But the U.S. still has a long way to go in addressing the threat. For example, bills have been proposed in the House and the Senate, but most focus solely on domestic terrorism. Many white supremacy extremists in the U.S. have connections overseas, including ties to neo-Nazis in Ukraine. So focusing only on domestic terrorism is unlikely to be enough. Clark says the U.S. could consider designating these white supremacy groups as foreign terrorist organizations. As for Pittsburgh, we're still reeling one year after the attack on Tree of Life. But the city has rallied around the Jewish community, and as Clark puts it, the feeling is one of resolve, not despair. You can read his full commentary on the RAND blog. More than 10 wildfires are currently raging up and down California. To prevent more fires from starting, utility companies are turning to power outages. Millions of people were affected by outages this past weekend, and nearly half a million residents of Northern California were in the dark for up to five days. It's an approach that may help prevent power lines from sparking fires, but is it worth the risk? According to RAND experts, the outages can have potentially grave health implications for the very people who need protection, older adults. Wildfires already disproportionately affect this group. Older people are more likely to be socially isolated, to face challenges with evacuating, and to have chronic health conditions. And shutting off the power? That can put older adults at risk for injury, or even death. Imagine, for example, that the power is cut, even for a short period of time, on a very hot day. When the temperature goes up, and the air conditioning goes off, this can aggravate health conditions. And consider the fact that the refrigerator won't be working either. This presents a serious problem for anyone who relies on medications that need to be kept cool. There's also the question of how to charge medical devices. These are just some of the ways older people stand to suffer when the power goes out. And until more comprehensive decisions are made to support this vulnerable population, 
Planned blackouts should be planned better. The protests in Hong Kong are approaching their fifth month, and according to Rand's Derek Grossman, the region may have entered its most dangerous period yet. Why? Beijing recently celebrated the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China. Now that the festivities are over, the Chinese government might be more inclined to use force against Hong Kong. Grossman notes that there are many good reasons for Beijing not to take military action, but the possibility can't be dismissed. To bring the situation back from the brink, both parties, the Hong Kong government and the protesters, may need to make compromises. Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam has already met one of the protesters' demands, permanently withdrawing the proposed extradition law that sparked the protests in the first place. But Grossman says Lam should be able to meet two more, investigating allegations of police brutality and releasing activists who've been imprisoned. As for the protesters, they might have to consider a less aggressive strategy. For example, crusading for direct elections for the Hong Kong Legislative Council could prolong the chaos with the police and further draw in Beijing. Rebuilding trust between the residents of Hong Kong and their government will be difficult, says Grossman. But if future protests and the government response can remain civil, that might prevent Chinese military intervention and ultimately bring Hong Kong back from the brink of disaster. A new Rand study finds that Americans average more than five hours of free time each day. Men generally have a bit more free time than women. So how do people spend most of this time? You probably won't be surprised to know that we aren't spending it exercising. In fact, no gender or economic group in the study reported spending even 7% of their free time on physical activity. Instead, Americans spend most of their downtime looking at screens. TVs, phones, computers, or other devices. These findings run counter to the idea that a lack of leisure time is a major reason why Americans don't get enough exercise. Rand's Deborah Cohen says this suggests it's feasible to get people to devote at least 20 or 30 minutes a day to physical activity. Being active every day can make a big difference, lowering the risk and severity of chronic diseases, and improving mental health and physical well-being. So, even if you're below the average and you don't have five hours of free time each day, consider devoting a little more of the time you do have to getting up and moving. Russia's 2015 military intervention in Syria took many by surprise and raised several questions about the potential for Russia to take similar action elsewhere. According to a new RAND report, the Kremlin's decision resulted from, quote, an extraordinary confluence of political drivers and military conditions. On the political front, there were three key factors. First, the collapse of the Assad regime was imminent, and Moscow believed it could prevent this by intervening. Second, Russia believed that regime collapse would have had grave security implications. And third, Moscow considered other means, such as diplomacy, to be useless. As for the military factors, Russia had both access to the theater and permission to use ports and airbases, and there were allies on the ground in Syria. The authors of the report find that such a combination of circumstances is unlikely to happen again. But this doesn't mean that Russia won't get involved in another conflict outside of its immediate neighborhood. U.S. decision-makers should assume that Moscow won't hesitate to intervene when its interests are affected. In fact, the Pentagon should expect Russian forces, even if only on a covert basis or in low numbers, 
to be present in nearly any conflict zone in the Middle East, North Africa, and beyond. On the dark web, criminals can operate in ways that are hard for law enforcement to discover, monitor, and investigate. The dark web provides anonymity and encryption for online activities. This complicates the process of identifying suspects and collecting evidence. So what do law enforcement agencies need to better handle dark web crimes? Rand recently convened a panel of experts to find out. The panel identified a lack of knowledge among law enforcement officials about what the dark web is and how criminals use it. For example, investigators often overlook physical artifacts that suggest dark web activities, things like cryptocurrency wallets, encryption keys, or dark web addresses. For this reason, the panel said that training and information sharing would likely have the greatest impact in helping investigators assemble evidence of dark web crimes. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. See you next week.